This is Truth Talks. Welcome back, everyone, to the Truth Talks podcast. I'm your host, Buddy Boone. With me today, I have the pastor of Bellcroft Bible Church. His name is Pastor Matt White. How you doing today, sir? I'm doing good. Let me give a shout out to Kevin and say, Kevin, how's this sound? Does it sound better? <laughs> and he's talking about Kevin and Nani move from uh, Theology Driven Podcast. It's a good podcast and uh, he's good Amen. friends of ours. So, All right, Kevin, I'm trying, brother. <laughs> Making sure that he's, I, uh, he, your, your, your volume is actually really good. So uh, Ke- you, you Kev- just, you Kevin just move away. <laughs> Your GPMs are always high. That's why you, you know, we starts to. I'm telling you, he starts to go as you know, flick, you know, flick his hands and his GPS go, GPMs go. It's over. He, he's, yeah, but Kevin he's doesn't care about my GPMs. He just yeah, wants to hear my voice. He just wants to hear. That's that's it. I was thinking about getting him a uh, a cordless microphone so he could but, keep moving. Yeah, that would be dangerous. It would be because he'd be all around the office grabbing uh, different books and saying, well, "Look, you know this and that, and you know the Bible here." And he'd be up at the whiteboard over yeah, there. Yeah, that, that would <laughs> like, that would not be good. No one could hear what's on the whiteboard. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, this is uh, the, I, the the reason why I decided to. Uh, to name this podcast, <laughs> here's the thing: Matt has no idea what we're doing <laughs> today, which is which is nothing new. Yes, yeah, nothing new. <laughs> but uh, the name of this uh, podcast today is "Was That Helpful?" <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's original. Yeah, that's that's very original to him because that is uh, actually one of his uh, very famous lines that we've come to know. Uh, as members of Bellcroft Bible Church, that he says a lot, yeah. and uh, and the reason behind that is because uh, he wants to make sure that we understand. And that's what a good shepherd does. Yes, uh, but also just to make sure that we are uh, tracking what he's saying. Exactly. So the reason behind that is because this is going to be um, the ending of this first season, uh, this one, and the next podcast that we do. So I want to talk a little bit, um, and we're just basically going to uh, go through a few things, and it's going to be uh, a plethora of different topics. Um, we are coming off of Matt preaching a sermon. Uh, well, two things we're coming off of. <laughs> coming off of uh, a Sunday school where he started a series talking about the fear of the Lord. And uh, if you follow us on our Instagram page, you'll see that picture that I posted and that had like the uh, notes, the front page of the notes that in itself, we probably could talk about and we will talk about a little bit here. Um, but the other thing is uh, the sermon uh, that he just preached on Sunday. Uh, <laughs> it, it has to do with uh, Mark chapter four, uh, starting around verse 10, going to uh, around verse 12. And uh, it's really with the people that were around Jesus asking about the parables uh, that he preached. And uh, this is the meat to the sandwich in mm-hmm. the text. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Matt, we have not talked at all about mm. <laughs> Mark in a while. Yeah. And there's a lot of catching up to do there. We do. Um is there is there any way that we could summarize sure. what we haven't talked about first before we get into uh, this part? Because th- this yeah. the you, reason you why know, is we, you know me, man. I'm, yeah. I summarize. No you, no, you don't. You don't summarize <laughs> anything. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> okay, let, 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 me, let me give you an example. <laughs> so in men's Bible study, 
uh, he gives us notes. He sends the notes out, and you know, men's Bible study that we have. And we're talking about godliness. That's the entire theme of the the Bible study. Uh, many, many times, probably every single time we do men's Bible study, he never t- teaches about the actual subject. It's always just an introduction. Now, the introduction definitely points to the subject, yeah. but. Literally fifty to minutes to an hour of just an introduction. Yeah, because it's it's so rich. Like everything just just feeds off of everything. So yeah, there's a, there's a purpose behind that. Believe it or not, it is. Yeah. Okay. So I give you the notes, which tend to be uh, filled with scripture and uh, and it's homework that you have to do. And generally, you don't get those notes until Thursday mm-hmm. or Friday. Mm-hmm. Bible studies on Saturday. And so I'm giving you extra time to actually do the notes. Gotcha. So I'm preparing you because then you have a head filled with context and you understand where it's going. So then when you go back and actually do those notes, like I know you're doing, buddy, because you're so faithful. Yeah. But when you go back and do those the next week or the next two weeks when we gather again, then we usually get into the notes that were given the week. That True. <laughs> and so, see, there's a yeah, method. There's you're a, right. There's a method. Because I did not... Go over all I did <laughs> this week was go over the introduction, That's like it. the 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 review notes. Yeah. So I went over that part. I didn't actually get to the other part, no. so I, I get to that part now. See? Okay. See, I'm helping you. There, you're learning me. I'm learning. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So the last time we talked about Mark, um, Mark, uh, I think it was back to like chapter two, uh, the ending of chapter two. Uh, okay. Verses twenty three yeah. through twenty nine or twenty eight. Yeah, which would have went probably through chapter three, verse six, because it's kind of the that's that's kind they go hand in hand. Right. Yeah. Right. So can the you give us on like, the Sabbath and can, all that? Yeah. Can you give us like a summary of chapter three? Yeah. So uh, chapter three, verses one to six, there is that second part of uh, where Jesus declares that he's Lord of the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. So that happens at the end of chapter two, where he declares that uh, the Sabbath was not made for man. You know, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. So the Son of Man is Lord over the Sabbath. Massive statement that Christ makes that he's greater than the Sabbath and that the Sabbath was, uh, he's the fulfillment of the Sabbath Mm -hmm. and all those statements that just was shocking everyone, including the Pharisees, because they were uh, essentially the Sabbath was their day. Right. It was their day for them to put on show mm-hmm. who they were. So it was for them, you know, the Sabbath was the greatest day in the life of Israel in the sense of it identified them more than anything because that that law or that, that part of their culture was so different than everybody else. Mm-hmm. So it really did elevate them. And that was part of what uh, God was doing in the beginning when he created that, right, where they were to rest on the Sabbath. But uh, the religious leaders turned it, and that was their day for sure. That was their day they went public, right, right in the temple. So when Jesus is coming in and saying, listen, I'm here, I, I, am, I am bringing an end to the Sabbath, basically. It's about me. Mm-hmm. They, that would have shocked them. Mm-hmm. And so what he does then in chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, is he proves it. Mm-hmm. And he heals a man on the Sabbath, which, again, and from their perspective, that would have been, you know, utterly blasphemous, mm-hmm. right? To do anything on the Sabbath, let alone heal somebody. And that's where Jesus is like, look, is it wrong to give life or to bring death on the Sabbath? Right. And, you know, it puts them in the horns of the dilemma. It's like, how are you going to answer that? Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, I'll show you. And he gives life in the sense of he heals the man with the withered hand right there in front of them. But that whole thing is set up by Christ in the sense of he calls the man. He sees the man with the withered hand, mm-hmm. even though the religious leaders are trying to trap him to to sin on the Sabbath in their eyes, 
Jesus sees it, he knows it, and he's like, I'll, I'll pull this guy out into the middle so everyone sees, because yeah. I'm going to show everybody that I am Lord of the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. I am the Son of God. And mm-hmm. so that happens in, in chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. At the end, that's when then the Pharisees make it their goal to kill him. And it says that right there, that they have made it their their goal. They're going to team up with the Herodians, which was essentially enemies of theirs originally. That's people who are who are um, in league with Herod, mm-hmm. who's in league with Rome, mm-hmm. which should be uh, totally contrary to the Pharisees because they hate Rome, but now they're going to go in league with these Herodians to try to trap and ultimately destroy Christ. And so it's a turning point big time. Well, then when you go to verses 7 through uh, verse 12, that section is basically a um, it's a summary section of his ministry. And so you see in verse 7 it says Jesus withdrew because he was... He was essentially being hunted now, and they're going to try to kill him. And so it says he withdrew with his disciples because it's not safe there. Mm -hmm. So he gets away from them, and he goes out. And now what, in this summary, Mark kind of elevates and says, the religious leaders hate him, they're not following him, but look at these massive crowds that are following him. Mm -hmm. And so in the summary is where Mark talks about people coming from every surrounding region, city, town, village, and he even names some of them. They're all around the area have heard about Christ, and now they're following in the sense of they're around him and the crowds are gathering. And so Mark is building up anticipation, and he's showing that despite what the religious leaders say and do, despite the opposition, this massive crowd of people still continue to assemble, mm-hmm. right? And so Mark is showing us that, and you see that um, there at, to the end of verse 12. And, of course, he's healing them. There's so many of them that are being healed and so many of them that are pushing in on him that he tells his disciples, he says, listen, you need to have a boat ready for me when crowds come like this because there's so many. I can't I can't do the work and they're going to crush me. Mm-hmm. And so that is is somewhat prophetic in the sense of that's going to that's going to come back up in the parable of the soils because he's going to end up needing that boat, right. which is the largest crowd that ever assembled and they're crushing him. And so he gets in the boat. So it's interesting to see. Mark is helping us grow through this and setting setting us up. So um, it's interesting. What's interesting about this is the religious leaders won't f- won't follow him even superficially in the sense of they're not they're not uh, part of the crowd. They're part of the antagonist, but the crowds are following him. So you're seeing this contrast. The religious leaders are trying to kill him. The crowds are trying to be healed by him. Mm-hmm. But what's the biggest contrast is. The religious leaders and the crowd, both of them, d- will not acknowledge who he is. No one will say he's the son of God. No one will, will declare who he's already proven himself to be, mm-hmm. except who? The demons. Hmm. So the demons are the ones that keep declaring what no one else can see. The demons are, 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 are as open-eyed. They, they have the clearest sight. They see him for who he is. Everyone else is blinded. Mm -hmm. And Mark makes that clear at the end there when he says, and whenever an unclean spirit saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. Well, that's exactly what everyone else should have been doing, but it's only the demons that are doing it. And again, Mark is, is just explaining in general form what is going on. He's, he's uh, giving us this general summary. And Mark does this multiple times as he's transitioning in his writing so he's done it once already. This is the second time. And then in chapter uh, the next section, he's going to call the apostles. And mm-hmm. then he's going to go into a, a long section on parables 
and uh, one specific day that he's going to highlight. So whenever Mark gets ready to zero in, mm -hmm. he gives us like a summary. Right. So that's what that section is. And then starting in verse 13 through verse 21, uh, we're really verse 19, is the calling of the 12 apostles. Mm -hmm. So now Mark is going to start to zero in on a specific group out of the greater group that's following him. And so he has this larger group that's kind of following him as disciples, and he Jesus picks from that larger group, 12, to be his apostles. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, that's uh, um, on page, or on verses 13 through 19, and that's a great section. I think we spent probably, I don't know how many sermons we it did. It was a lot. Yeah, I think we did probably six or seven sermons mm -hmm. just on the calling of the apostles because there's so much there, yeah. and it's so good. But that's, that's what happens here, and now you see Jesus is advancing his mission, mm -hmm. right? He's now pulled together a team. He's, of course, he's declared that he's there. The kingdom is there in in their midst because he's there. That's uh, Mark 1, 14 and 15. He's teaching, he's preaching everywhere he goes. He's healing simply, ultimately, to validate what he's preaching, though he's compassionate and he's caring for the, the poor and the lost in that sense. But his ultimate healing ministry was validation of his message. That's, that's what it's always been. So he's proving he, I, the kingdom of God is here because the kingdom of Satan is being overthrown. Mm -hmm. And he just keeps showing that. Well, now he's got his apostles because why? Why now? Why pick apostles now? Well, remember at the end of chapter three, verse six, the Herodians and the Pharisees have what? Teamed up to kill him. His time is short. Mm -hmm. He's about two. He's about two years in. So he's got about a year at this point when he picks the apostles. He's got about eighteen months left, which isn't much time. What does that mean? Eighteen months to handpick his team. Eighteen months to teach them, prepare them to do what? Continue his mission. Mm -hmm. That's not a long time. So he knows his time is the sovereign timetable that he is has set with the father is is running so he handpicks these guys as it says in verse uh, 14 he appointed 12 of whom he named apostles here's the purpose so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach so he wants them to be with him that is a powerful point of saying proximity is mm -hmm. primary with christ to learn from him to live with him to follow him mm -hmm. they, to be with him and that's that's a in many ways a a, you could paraphrase that as the gospel, right? right? The gospel is being with Christ, being one with Christ. Mm -hmm. So that's the whole point. He wants to bring them in and, and actually teach them, personally disciple them, and that's what he does. And then um, in verse 20, so there's a, there's a pretty good time gap between verse 19 and verse 20. So uh, after he calls the 12, um, it's probably about 18 months. Then there's uh, probably about four months or so that lapses in there where he's uh, traveling with the apostles, teaching mm -hmm. and preaching. And we'll see that where Mark will go back to some of that. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, But then Mark picks up the story in verse 20, and he's specifically now zeroes in on one day. So Mark goes from the calling of the 12 at about 18 months, and now it's about uh, about. 13, 12 months mm -hmm. before he goes to the cross. And this starts the busiest, probably the most important day before he goes into his Passion Week of his whole Galilean ministry. Mm -hmm. It all comes down to this one that Mark will spend two chapters on just this one day. It's it's amazing. Mm -hmm. And um, so, so it's a day that starts out um, in Mark with uh, um, Jesus' family denying him in the sense of, calling him crazy. They're confused. They're confused about him. They don't know who he is. 
they can't believe they get, they get word that Jesus is healing and doing ministry to the point where he can't eat. Mm-hmm. Like he just won't stop. He's, right. he's serving 24 seven. And they're like, this is nuts. He really believes he is the Messiah and, and, and people are going to kill him. Mm-hmm. Right. So they're concerned for him. It's not a, it's not an uh, arrogant rejection of Christ, but it's a concern for him because they don't, they don't believe that he's the Messiah. Right, so they think he's like out of his mind. That's right. what the text says. They just mm-hmm. like, yeah, he's delusional, man. He really thinks he is the Messiah, and so, uh, so then Mark starts there. Matthew tells us that that same morning that uh, Mark tells us about his family in Nazareth, who's hearing stories about Christ. That same morning, he heals a blind and mute man who's demon possessed. Again, showing that the kingdom of God is there because the kingdom of Satan is starting to be overthrown, mm-hmm. and so he heals a, and that is powerful. Be- because that sets up the stage for everything that's about ready to happen in this day. Mm-hmm. He casts out another demon in front of everybody there in Capernaum. He heals a man, double healing, a man who is both can't see and a man who can't speak. Powerful, mm-hmm. right? Undeniable. No one denies it. Everybody watches it. And uh, what happens then? Uh, Mark doesn't show us that. Matthew does. Mark tells us about the craziness of his family, thinking he's crazy. And then Mark goes right into the to the unpardonable sin. He does the sandwich technique again that you just referenced. Mm-hmm. So he starts with the story of his family. He pauses, pregnant pause, goes to uh, really the heart of the matter, which is the rejection of Christ by the religious leaders, which is a deeper rejection than even his own family. So Mark's showing opposition and rejection of Christ starts on the surface with those closest to him, his own family, which should blow the reader away Mm -hmm. because his family should be the ones closest to him. Mm -hmm. They should be the ones who know him and follow him. But Mark shows they don't even know him. They're not even following him. What about the religious leaders, right? They're the ones that know all about the Messiah. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that are looking for the Messiah. Mm -hmm. Surely they're following. Mark says, nope, they reject him too. So that's the um, unpardonable sin because they they are there when Jesus casts out the demon. They see the people in Mark uh, 12, uh, see Jesus cast out the demon, and they say, look, could this be the son of David? Could this be the Messiah? Pharisees hate that because they, they in their hearts know it is, but they know once the Messiah comes, they're going to lose everything. Yeah. So they don't want it. Lose and, their position. And, and, which, mm-hmm. which the... Bible says multiple times, even when they stood before Pilate, Pilate said he knew all that they were doing was simply done because they were envious mm. of Jesus. It was always been envy in mm. their hearts. That's why they hated him. They wanted the crowds to follow them, but they're following him. They wanted that. And so anyway, um, the unpardonable sin then is them spreading a pernicious lie that all that Christ does mm-hmm. is not done by the power of the Spirit, but done by the power of Satan. And so they deny the Holy Spirit's power. They call Jesus a demonic liar. You're in league with Satan. Notice they do not deny. This is, this is so important. They do not deny his power to heal, to cast out demons, and basically do whatever he wants by way of healing. Mm-hmm. They never deny it. Why is that so important? Because it proves they knew it. They were sinning eyes wide open. They saw it. They didn't deny it. They never denied it. Matter Mm. of fact, they kept saying, we've got to do something about this. He keeps healing people, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, think about the wickedness of the hard heart where it's right in front of you and you know it to be true. Mm -hmm. This, that, that is power. That is pivotal to understanding the unpardonable sin because they did, they did not commit their uh, rejection of Christ in ignorance. Jesus's family was ignorant. 
they were confused. Mm-hmm. They couldn't figure it out. They didn't. They legitimately did not think he was the Messiah. The Pharisees knew it. Mm-hmm. They knew full well. That's why when um, when uh, Nicodemus comes to Jesus earlier on in the Judean ministry in John three, what does he say? He comes by night and he says. Uh, Rabbi, we know you are from God because no one can do what you do. Yeah. Right? He's a Pharisee, wow. right? So they mm-hmm. knew it from yeah. the beginning, and it just be- it just became clearer and clearer and clearer mm-hmm. as he kept going. Right? They couldn't mm-hmm. deny it, and that's why Jesus is like, "Look, you know this. You're seeing it." So that that is that is key to understanding the unpardonable sin mm-hmm. because it wasn't ignorance; it was outright perpetual arrogance. For them to look openly and knowingly at what who Christ was and what he was doing, and they knew it, and they turned away and said, nope, he's of the devil. The spirit of God is not in him, the spirit of the devil is. So they're denying the power of the Holy Spirit, they're denying Christ, and um, ultimately Christ says, don't do that, don't do that, because that'll be an eternal sin that you will not be forgiven of, and that then sets up the stage for what comes in chapter 4. Mark stops the pregnant pause in the middle of the sandwich. It goes back to what? The family. Mm-hmm. That thought he was crazy. Now they left Nazareth, which was about five hours away. They traveled to Capernaum. They arrived probably around lunchtime, and they try to get to Jesus to take him, literally seize him, it says in the text, pull him. In their mind, they're thinking they're doing a good thing, but again, they're, they would be totally uh, diverting Jesus from his mission. So they're going to come and take him back home mm-hmm. with them, back to Nazareth. Because, again, they think he's going to hurt himself, and they think, ultimately, that he's going to hurt the family mm-hmm. because he's being hunted by the religious leaders, and which means they're all going to be kicked out of the synagogue and their whole family name would be uh, diminished and blah, 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 you know, all these reasons. Well, and at the, at the end of that, they can't get to him because there's so many people who are there, and, and they're on the outside unable to get in, but there is a small group of people who are around him, and they send a note in through the crowd into the house where Jesus is with his small group of followers and and they say Jesus your mother and your brothers are and sisters are outside they want to speak with you and that's when Jesus looks at them and says who's my mother and my brother and my sisters mm-hmm. and he says he looks at them that means it's powerful he says you are my mother my brother mm-hmm. and my sisters mm-hmm. and he's identifying who the true family of God is who the true family of Christ is that's powerful Mm -hmm. because why is that so important because everyone in that culture and in ours if you think about it everyone you thought would be the follower of Christ was not Mm -hmm. it was not his family who knew him best and was closest and it was not the religious leaders it was not the elite it was the downtrodden it was by this point you've got um, all kinds of people who are following him who have been cast demons cast out harlots tax collectors, drunkards, mm-hmm. you've got the, the, the scum of society. That's the ones who are around him, mm-hmm. right? The 12, the fishermen, the lowly fishermen, right? And those are the ones, and he says, that's my family. Man. This is my family. So That was a lot. Yeah. And what I'm going to do right now is we're going to pause here, and we're going to take a break. We're going to come back uh, with the Truth Talks podcast. And welcome to Kidicism, where we do catechisms for kids. I'm Lucy. And I'm Callie. So here we go. So the second question is, what else did God make? The answer is simple. God made all things. How do you know God made all things? Because the Bible says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And verse 31 
in the same chapter says, And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Also in Romans eleven thirty six, it says, For from and through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen. And in Colossians one sixteen, it says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. I know that's right. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you that we get to have this podcast. Hope that everybody listening and not listening will have a good day and hope that they will know and learn your word. And in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks. And tune in next time for another Kickism. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Welcome back, everyone, to the Truth Talks podcast. And uh, we have just, well, Matt has just given us a summary of chapter three. Now we're putting, uh, we're going uh, into chapter four. Uh, This is what uh, chapter four is uh, really about. Um, I want to stress to uh, make sure that you are listening to the sermons. Uh, if you go to, uh, you can actually go to our website, bellcroftbiblechurch.org, and you can listen to all of the sermons. Uh, really, from the beginning of this year, uh, we have been in uh, the book of Mark, and now we are in October. <laughs> we are in uh, the uh, chapter four. And uh, the last couple of weeks have been, last few weeks have been uh, on chapter four. Um, Somebody, but, we had a visitor today who's been coming a couple of weeks and she mm-hmm. said, Pastor, I'm doing my homework. I'm going back all the way back to the beginning. And and she said, January 20th was the first sermon in Mark. I'm like, I didn't even know. Didn't was even it? Know. I, yeah, I thought it was sooner than that. But she said, that's where, I, that's, where, that's where I'm at. And I've started listening all the way through. So I said, good, yeah. good, yeah. good. That'll so, help. Yeah, hopefully by the time she gets to uh, uh, this week, it you know will be into next year. <laughs> she said, "I calculated it'll be about three years." I said, "That's that's what I've calculated." So. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a lot, and you haven't missed a lot of Sundays. No. I mean, I know you went on vacation back in May. That was two Sundays. Uh, there was like two other ones that I remember that someone else had preached, you know, Ben had preached a, a few yeah. Sundays. So it's yeah. it's a handful, literally a handful yeah. of... to be three. I think this is the 31st, today was the 31st sermon mm-hmm. in Mark. Yeah, so, yeah, it's 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 a it's a very deep dive into uh, yep. in, into the, uh, the book of Mark. But now that we're in chapter four, yep. um, the parable of the sower, you, you yeah. said something a few weeks ago that I thought that was pretty interesting. Yep. It, it, you know, in our Bibles, in a lot of people's Bibles, uh, the title of it, uh, they yeah. would say the parable of the sower. Yeah. But you were saying that it was a different, um, yeah. that you really feel like, well, you, from your, from studying it, yeah. you're seeing that it's a different subject. So, I mean, what was that? Yeah. It, it, it's not, that's not original with me. That's pretty common. I think with anybody that really studies the passage, you, you walk away and you go, yeah, it's not really, it's not about the sower, mm-hmm. right? Cause sower is really only mentioned really once mm-hmm. and kind of sideline mentioned twice mm-hmm. and that's it. Right. So if it's, if it's about him, then uh, he's he's got a uh, he's got a, 
a secondary role at best, right? Right. And it's not really about the seed because the seed isn't really mentioned, meaning it's not described, it's not elucidated, it's not elevated. Whatever, you know, whatever the main theme or whatever the main point is in a parable tends to be what's driven, what's described, what's mm-hmm. defined and all those things. And so the sower is just there. He's part of it, right? He does a part, but his part is just part, right? It's not the point. The seed is is not the point. Uh, um, we know the sower is Christ, but we also know the sower is everyone that faithfully sows the gospel. And so, but again, it's not, that's not what the point of the parable we know the seed is the word of God, i.e. the gospel, but we know that's not the point of the parable. We know the point of the parable very clearly is the soils because you can tell, right, just doing an honest reading of the text, it's the soils that are that are constantly described. Mm-hmm. It's the soils that are elevated by way of how much time and depth is given in the passage. So it really is uh, rightfully better understood as the, the, the four soils. Now, why is why is that even uh, more accurate? Because, and again, sometimes we 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 like roll into a passage like this with the parable, and we just parachute in, right? And we just read it as the parable, but it's not the parable. It's in the midst of a number of parables. But more than that, remember this all happens in one day. Mm-hmm. So chapter four flows out of chapter three which is all the same day. Literally, Jesus comes out of the house where he was surrounded and by his his true followers, his true family, just identified them. He leaves the house and he heads out by the sea. No doubt pre- prepping for all of this, setting all of this up to happen because he's sovereign. This didn't just, you know, there is no accidents. This isn't happenstance. This is sovereign. This is what he knew exactly what he was doing. He had the crowd there. He had everybody there. And now he's going to, again, take and teach his his own, the small band of followers, and really show them. Show them what? Well, the parable is about the four soils. The four soils prove that there are uh, massive rejection of the gospel. There's only one soil. There's only one uh, heart, essentially, one life that accepts the gospel compared to the other four, right? And so what the whole story of the soils shows it shows why he has been rejected so much in the last two and a half years. So he's a year or so out from the cross, and he only has this tiny band of followers. Mm-hmm. Those followers are watching his own family call him crazy, watching the religious leaders say he's of the devil. No doubt confused, no doubt trying to figure out, okay, what is going on here? And he knows they're going to really continue the mission. They're just going to keep doing what he has done in the sense of preaching the gospel, spreading the gospel. So he knows they have to get this. They have to understand that the response to the message of the kingdom is going to be few and far between. They have to know they're going to be under great opposition. They're going to know that the message of the gospel is going to be rejected, rejected, rejected. And just as mine has, and, and, and he's healing people, he's casting out demons and while they're, they'll do some of that, but not to the level that he is. And so he understands that, so he teaches them a lesson. He teaches them a story to show them why do people respond in such a negative way to the gospel, i.e., the four soils. And those soils represent four heart conditions. Three of them are just the heart of an unbelief, the response of unbelief, which we've already seen in chapter 3 with his family and with the Pharisees. And now what you saw with the Pharisees 
and the family and, by way of implication, the crowd, the greater crowd that's there with the Pharisees that are part of the unpardonable sin in that sense, they're part of it, then you see those heart conditions now illustrated in the four soils. Mm-hmm. And the one small group that's with him, that's the good soil. And so now he's going to illustrate it for them to drive a point that this is why this happens. So mm-hmm. chapter 3, the, the story itself is answering the question, why do people respond the way they do to the gospel? That's really what the parable does. Mm-hmm. It's answering the why question. Why has this happened? Why have they rejected you? Why does your family think you're crazy? Why will these people only want you for the food you bring and the entertainment they get? Why won't they just follow like we did? Lord, mm-hmm. they're confused. And he's like, I'm going to teach you a lesson. So, yeah, I one thing that I, a couple of things that I wrote down, which I thought that were and I think we're kind of skipping now. Uh, well, we're not skipping. We're going right in line. Verse 10. Uh, one thing that you said is the issue is not ignorance. Mm-hmm. It's arrogance. And then it's, it's never about proof. Yeah. It's about uh, an obstinate heart. Yes. So that just totally, again, you have to read in context. Context is king. Context flows from one place to another. And so all everything that we've already seen in chapter 3 with the unpardonable sin, with the rejection, with the hard, the hardness of heart, remember, the unpardonable sin is not one act of rejecting Christ. It wasn't one time where he cast out this demon and they're like, what? What is this? No, he's been doing this. He's been teaching, preaching, and demonstrating divine power and sovereign authority for two and a half years, mm-hmm. and they keep rejecting him. Yeah. That's the issue. So what happens in chapter 4 is driven by what ha- already happened in chapter 3. Mm-hmm. So the unpardonable sin and all of that is the is the conduit that really ultimately uh, flows out of the, the um, or excuse, should I say the four soils, flows out of the, a conduit of the unpardonable sin and the rejection that happens there. So, so the issue ultimately is never proof. The Pharisees had all the proof that Jesus could have offered to them. He's raising the dead. He's healing the sick. He's casting out demons. It's never proof, never, ever proof. It's always arrogance and obstinance in the heart. And mm-hmm. that text shows us that. It's never about trying to prove to somebody. It's about praying that God will open their eyes so that they see their hard heart and trust them. And, and the Pharisees teach us that. And so it is with the, with the soils. And we'll see that as we go through the soils, you'll see that uh, reality more and more and more. So what happens now? Jesus goes by the Sea of Galilee. This massive crowd now assembles. Mm-hmm. Many commentators think this could be the largest crowd he has yet to teach, mm-hmm. larger than the Sermon on the Mount that have gathered, right? And there they are. They're gathering in this spot. No doubt, they're right where he is on the Sea of Galilee, there's a number of places this could have happened, but there's one in particular where the, where the, uh, the way the geography works, it creates this natural cove into the land mm-hmm. with, a, with a, a, a soft sloping hillside that goes up mm-hmm. that literally would hold thousands upon thousands of people. Mm-hmm. And so many believe that's where it happened. And uh, so they think the whole, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, the um, edge of the, the bank, so to speak, of the water. On shore. The shore, there you go. The shoreline fills up with people. Mm-hmm. He's being crushed calls for the boat that he already asked to have ready mm-hmm. back in chapter 3. Boat comes up. Jesus gets in the boat. He pushes offshore probably 30, 40, 50 yards. So where the cove that wraps around that has all these people, where he can now go out and speak to them. What is so fascinating about this, just from a logistical standpoint, there was no AV equipment. Mm-hmm. There was no sound equipment. Mm-hmm. However, they've done studies on this mm-hmm. that 
um, they they put a man on the shore in in a, in, in this specific specific cove. It's called the Cove of the Parables because they think this is where it happened. Whether mm-hmm. it's that or not doesn't matter, but it would have been something like that. So they've done this, and so he s- stood on shore, and people were up on the hillside, and he talked, couldn't really hear him. He goes back in a boat out into the cove about 30, 40, 50 yards mm-hmm. and talks, and they can hear clearly all the way up the hillside. Yeah. Why? Because the water, it has to be when it's calm, when the water is still, and and the voice reflects off the water, and then when you put people around there, it almost creates like a funnel by which the voice then funnels right on up the hill so all the people mm-hmm. can hear. And I and I was preaching on that a couple weeks ago when mm-hmm. I taught on this, mm-hmm. and uh, Neil Neil mm-hmm. was saying, Pastor, we hear that, we see that all the time at Wabana. And he said hmm. there's this church camp across, all the way across the river out into the bay, but it's, it's way out there. Mm-hmm. You can't even see it. But he said when the water is still and they're having a thing, he said it sounds, you can literally hear the conversations that wow. are happening mm-hmm. because the, it just carries right across the water. He said when you said that, the camp people all looked at each other and laughed and said, yes, that's mm-hmm. exactly. So so that's what's going on here. And again, sovereignly picked. He's doing this. He's setting it all up. Mm-hmm. And so he walks by the shore, sets all this up. He starts to then teach teach them this story. Well, that probably is where they got the idea of amphitheaters. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's and uh, here in Bowie, we have an amphitheater. And even if you aren't like the way that it's set up, it's a hill that you know that like the the amphitheater sits at the bottom of the hill and you go up yeah and this amphitheater actually has a covering yeah so if you stand there in the amphitheater and then someone stands at the top of the hill you can hear yeah. very well without any type of equipment yeah but it's just how god designed yeah sound and 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 its uses which i thought was cool i actually watched a couple of youtube videos in the cove of parables where they've actually done that test yeah, yeah. the guys thought that he because they had walkie-talkies they thought that they were still talking yeah through the walkie-talkie he's like wait a minute he turned his walkie-talkie off he could still hear him he actually read uh mark chapter uh four or it was yeah. john he, he read he read a parable and he could hear the parable like clear as day which yeah. i was like wow that's, that's pretty amazing it's, it's awesome yeah god so is, god is sovereign man christ is sovereign overall so yeah. so what's interesting the crowds assemble he gets in the boat and he starts teaching right and he's teaching them things in parables, plural. Take note of that, mm-hmm. plural. And then in in this teaching, he goes into the story on the soils. Now, mm-hmm. what's interesting about this, verses 3 through verse 8, essentially, is the story. It's a very simple story. There's nothing profound about it. There's nothing complex about it. It's it's something every single person, probably man, man and child, woman, would have understood because they were all agrarian in the sense of they were all farmers, more or less, or mm-hmm. were part of that. So he just tells a story about a farmer, about a sower who plants seed, and about ground that won't take the seed, and about ground that does take the seed, and about ground that has rocks. Well, they knew that. Israel's full of rocks and thorns. They knew that. So um, again, it's just a simple story. But he stops with the simple story. <laughs> That's the issue, right? Mm-hmm. So as a parable, at the end of the day, a parable is is ultimately an earthly story with a spiritual or heavenly meaning, right? Mm-hmm. It's a um, there's different forms of parables, meaning some parables are short, just axioms, um, just uh, deeper illustrations by way of a phrase that that helps unlock the word uh, par barbe, uh, parbello um, parable. Um, mm-hmm. Literally means it's two Greek words that means to come alongside. 
and to uh, cast alongside. So you take uh, para parabole, para, parabole. There, mm-hmm. there you go. That's the right word. Parabole. So it's two Greek words, bole and para, which means literally para is come alongside. Bole means to cast mm-hmm. or to place. And so it means to take take something and place it alongside something else. So you have a you have a truth spiritual you're wanting to teach, which is usually abstract. So it's hard to understand because it's not tangible. And so you take that which is tangible, that which is physical, that which is earthly, which is known, and you bring it alongside mm-hmm. that spiritual truth so that you can compare the two and connect. Oftentimes you can do that in a phrase. You can do that. Jesus did that in Mark uh, 2.23 when, when he was defending himself with the, with the um, uh, Pharisees when they said he was in league with Satan. And then he, he says he, told, he taught them many parables, and he was doing it in just short phrases. How can Satan cast out Satan? Mm-hmm. How can the kingdom you know, be against its own kingdom? How can a kingdom rise? So he's using these phrases. Right. He's talking about a literal kingdom, which they could get. Mm-hmm. He's talking about a literal man. He's talking about a literal robber mm-hmm. right? in that phrase. But he's speaking of a spiritual one. right? He's talking mm-hmm. about Satan in that sense. And so, uh, so in that sense, yeah, it was just a quick, terse little axiom in that sense, it was a parable, but that's a general sense. But we're often thinking how he uses it here is in an extended story, and that's what we resonate with as parables. And again, this wasn't something new in the sense of uh, for people. There have been parables in the Old Testament, parables in history. This was just a teaching technique. But what is fascinating when you read the text is he stops at verse 8. He gives a call. It's like literally the middle of the story. Mm-hmm. He stops. All he did was give an agricultural lesson about sowing and seed and ground, mm-hmm. and he stops and says, he that has ears to hear, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. Done. Hmm. That would have been that would have shocked everybody. Now, yeah. now, in the flow of the text, we, we don't see it in Mark, but in Matthew, you can pick up on it. He tells, he probably told eight to nine parables in a row. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark just gives us three. Um, but again, Mark does the sandwich technique, so he pauses here. But remember what I said in the beginning. He tell he tells parables. They're going to ask him questions about parables, plural. But the issue is, imagine he stops that story, and now he goes into one about weeds and tares, and then he goes into one about the mustard seed. Mm-hmm. You'd have been sitting there going, uh, <laughs> "Where's this guy? He's all over the place." Right, right. Yeah, I mean, you'd have been thinking, "What is this?" Mm-hmm. Or you'd have been thinking, "Wow, this is a good agricultural lesson. I'm learning how to garden." Yeah, <laughs> you know? right, right. You know, and so he doesn't make the connection for them, mm-hmm. and. And you're like, but that's a parable. No, no, a, a, a true parable, when it's told, makes the connection. It gives you the spiritual meaning, or at least it, it shows it to you. Mm-hmm. The terse little saying, how can a kingdom do this and a kingdom do that? You don't need to do that because that's the whole point. It's terse. Mm-hmm. It's quick. But when you do an extended story, right, you have to give the meaning or else the person's left going, what's the meaning? Mm-hmm. So a good example of this is in the Sermon on the Mount, right, Matthew 7, he does this. Right, but he explains it. Right, the wise man builds his house on the what? The rock. Yeah. The foolish man builds his house on the sand. Mm-hmm. What is that? He explains it. Mm-hmm. Right. He explains this guy built this and it fell down and the winds came and the ri- and this guy did this and it lasted and so it is with those who do the will of my father. Mm-hmm. Right. Those people are the ones who building their house on the rock. It will last. It will hold. You understand that, right? Because right? he explained it. You have an idea of what he's going, and you're like, oh, yes, it's like the light bulbs click mm-hmm. because he gave us the explanation or enough of an explanation. We could make it. With these, there is no explanation. Mm-hmm. None. That's the issue that is often missed. It's not parables for parables' sake. They know about parables. 
They understand Jesus has already used parables, but they've always been explained. Here now, he teaches in parables, but he does not explain them. Mm-hmm. That's the kicker right now with the story of the four soils. I think that the biggest uh, thing, you know, that you talked about in that sermon, it really, like, hit me really hard that um, when you when it comes down to it, you know, there is a, uh, it says it in verse 12, uh, Mark four twelve. Indeed, they see but not perceive. They hear and do not, but but you know, do not understand. Yeah. Lest they turn and be forgiven. Yeah. And that struck me because you know you referenced. Uh, let's see, Romans chapter one. Yeah. Uh, Romans chapter nine. Yeah. Second uh, Thessalonians two. When God yep. sends a delusion. Yep. Uh, when I saw that, I'm like Joshua eleven. Wow. Exodus seven. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, man, the Canaanites in Joshua 11, yep. uh, Exodus 7, and 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 I remember, you know, like as a kid hearing that, yeah. you know, like Pharaoh hardened his heart. That yep. was the big thing, and, and yeah. you know, God hardened Pharaoh's yep. heart. And, yep. and I'm like, oh, my goodness, like is it to the point where even now today that you're starting to see – this in a very vivid way oh yeah because of social media yeah you know people will you know hide it in their heart like you know I, yeah. I, no thank you but now it's a thing of like it's open that people are literally hardening their heart to the gospel and oh, then yeah. telling people yeah that they're hardening their heart to the gospel uh not just through words but also through uh actions and yeah. uh and, and movements that they're that they're a part it's of scary and, yeah, it's scary. Well, and that was that was like the beginning of the, the 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 reason he tells the story of the soils was to help his reader or to help his followers understand why they're responding the way they are. Mm-hmm. Now he's going to explain to them the reason why he tells the stories in an unexplained way, because mm-hmm. that's the question they're going to come. Because it's only his followers that answer the call. He that has ears, let him hear. It's interesting, right? Right. right. Everybody else, thousands of people, they're gone. No one comes <laughs> and asks them a question. Right. Right. Think about it. Right. Yeah. They're it hearing be, all those. Parables. It would be like me get up and preach a sermon, and I'm all over the place. Yeah. I know you. You'd be the first one. To be like, man, what, what are you doing? Let's like, have a what? conversation. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I, I help me. What am I, What am I missing? Right. Right. right? No one comes. Only that small band, because mm-hmm. they're the true fan. They have ears yeah, to hear yeah. and they're like wait what, what what's going on tell us we got to know what's going on we, mm-hmm. we want to know so they come and they ask him but again they're not asking about parables they know about parables. they're asking him why aren't you explaining this mm-hmm. why are you telling them in in a parable that makes no sense right and jesus is like i'm glad you asked mm-hmm. and he tells them because in so doing i'm going to harden their hearts that's yeah. what you just read out of isaiah, isaiah 6 mm-hmm. and uh, scary thing yes they have hardened their hearts they have sealed their own destiny and god says now i'm going to seal it permanently mm-hmm. and i'm going to hide truth from them and that's what he does yeah the, i th- i think that the 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 biggest thing here with uh as far as like um like you know we always give you the gospel at the end of uh uh the the podcast but i think that here it's it's kind of like the reaction it's like we jump to the the fourth part of the gospel how we break it down it's like their reaction and um you know i love that uh the way that jesus explains this one he shows himself to be uh and and you said nicodemus yeah he we know that you are of god yeah uh, because you know you're doing uh, these amazing things. Um, 
but the the seed that was sown was just rejected. Yep. Um, we have you know about five minutes left here uh, in the podcast. Can you give us uh, the gospel? And the next podcast, I want to spend a lot more time on the gospel mm-hmm. um, and kind of hitting all the four points, how we usually break it down. Good. Um, and, and then I do have some questions that we need to get to, to kind of get to, cause we've, we have been kind of all over the place as well. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> can you give me the gospel, uh, yeah. you know, of Jesus Christ? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So um, without, question right this passage is is a springboard to the gospel because uh, it's the gospel the rejection of the gospel that has led to this point of divine hardening and that's a scary thing Uh, we don't know when god does that and no man can say that right i have no prerogative to say god is hardening your heart in that sense it's a thing that only god can say and do praise the lord um i just know that if there's life and breath as i preached i don't know how many times the gospel was declared today in our sermon but if you're here listening, then today's the day of salvation. And that's where this passage we just read in Hebrews 3 is so important. As the gospel goes out, you don't harden your heart. You don't reject it. You don't say, I don't want to hear that. No, I don't believe that. No, you, you see it. You know it's true, and you embrace it. So what is the gospel? The gospel is that God is the creator. There is only one God. I spent two hours this week with a friend of mine who's an atheist out to lunch, and I literally spent two hours evangelizing him. I did. I would not let up. I would not let up, mm-hmm. right? Because I I care for him, and I don't want him to go to hell, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and and he wants to do it again, and I'm gonna keep doing it, mm-hmm. right? And uh, because this reality is that God is His creator, He's denying that. He says there is no God, right? And uh, uh, we know what the Bible says about that. It calls that kind of person a fool, mm-hmm. because the uh, again, go back to chapter three. It is so obvious that God exists. Mm-hmm. It, the, it the issue isn't proof. Because the atheist always wants proof. No, you don't. Proof is there. You keep, Romans 1, suppressing it. Mm-hmm. And I told my friend that, right? The issue is you deny the truth you already see. Mm-hmm. You keep denying it. It's there. It's there. It's there. Your heart is hard. You need to repent and humble your heart and go to God. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the issue starts with God. The gospel always starts with God. The gospel always begins in Genesis. Mm-hmm. And it's that God is the creator. He owns everyone. He mm-hmm. is Lord of all. He created every person. Therefore, he has authority over every person. Every every breath that you take is a gift from God. However, the sad reality is we were given that to worship God, to serve God, to enjoy him. To, to bring pleasure and praise to his name, which in turn brings us pleasure because that's what we were created for. But instead, what have we done? We've rejected God and we've tried to be God's ourself. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what Adam and Eve did in Genesis chapter three, when instead of following God, they followed Satan, mm-hmm. worshiping themselves. And as Satan said, God knows if you eat this fruit, you will be like him. You will be a God. And that's what they wanted. Well, good. Yes, I can have that. Mm. That's what I want, and that's what they did, and that and sin entered at that moment. The world, mm. sin comes in through Adam, and he brings sin. Well, what what's the result of sin? Well, the reality is sin is rejecting God. That's what Adam and Eve did. The result of that is death, separation. They were immediately separated from God. That's why when God comes down. He says, "Adam, where are you?" He's hiding. They're separated, mm. no longer together. And then ultimately, they're separated from the garden. And then ultimately, right, their relationship is severed. That's why he says, the woman that you you gave me, she, it was her fault. 
The woman says the snake, it was his fault. Everybody separated, right? <laughs> Everybody's alienated. Mm-hmm. That's what sin does. It separates everything. It's a disaster. And uh, God in his mercy, though, is the only one that can bring reconciliation, that can put it all back together, mm-hmm. right? So, so we are alienated from God. We're separated from him. And that separation will ultimately, it comes in multiple forms. It's relational, right? We're relationally dead. That's what the Bible means in Ephesians 2 when it says we're dead in our sins. We have no relationship with God by way of, by way of love. It's only judgment. And so you're separated from him as, as father. You only know him as judge, and he's coming back to, to judge. That relationship can be fixed now through Christ, but one day that relationship will be sealed forever, and you'll only know him as judge for all eternity. And that's a scary thought. And so reality, God is judge, man is sinner, they are separated, and God is the only one that can bring them back together, and he does it through Christ. Mm-hmm. He sends his son to be the mediator, to be the, the one who brings them back together, and God does that himself. He's the reconciler through, through uh, sending his only son. Jesus Christ comes, and he does what God wanted Adam and Eve to do. He is called the second Adam. He fulfills all that Adam failed at mm-hmm. he it, it's powerful to see the interplay between mm-hmm. the garden uh, of of eden and the garden of gethsemane right mm-hmm. where you see where the one adam failed immediately christ lives on earth for 30 years he is attacked by satan non-stop intense and he wins every time mm-hmm. because he's the perfect man he is the god man he, he lived the life we were meant to live. He lived the life Adam was meant to live. He lived the life we were meant to live. Fully, perfectly fulfilled the law and the word of God at every turn. Mm-hmm. That's what God demands of all of us. That's the only way you have a, a full, right relationship with God without judgment. Well, what hope is that for us? That's Jesus. I'm glad you asked, right? <laughs> the reality is there is no hope for us mm-hmm. unless Christ will give us that. Mm-hmm. Unless he will, but that means he has to take our punishment. Yeah. And that's what he does. He goes to the cross and he gets all of our sin, all of the judgment that we deserve gets put on Christ. He never sinned. I just said he was perfect in every way, fulfilled the law in every way, loved his father, Matthew twenty two thirty seven to 39, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Who's the perfect image of that? Christ. Because mm-hmm. he loved God to the end. He never stopped loving him. But he also loved his neighbor, you mm-hmm. and I, to the cross, mm. right? Perfect. He's perfect in every way. He should have never died. He should have never been killed. He should have never been murdered. Mm-hmm. He should have never had to deal with the wrath of God. Mm-hmm. But he did, and he did it willingly. And that was the Father's plan, as Isaiah 53 said, to crush him. And so the Son is crushed so that we would not be crushed. The Son was killed so that we would not have to die and be separated. The Son bore the wrath, the penalty of sin, that we might enjoy the grace of God. Mm -hmm. It's called the great exchange. So he gets our sin, the sin of all who will believe, gets laid upon Christ, and we get his righteousness. Mm. All of the perfection, all of the goodness, all of the good of Christ, which is all of him, we get. Mm -hmm. We get what the uh, Isaiah said, robed in the righteousness of Christ. We're covered Colossians 3 says we're, we're hidden in Christ. He literally smothers us. When God sees us, he sees Christ mm-hmm. because that's our, that's our hope. That's mm-hmm. how we can go into his throne room with boldness, into the Holy of Holies, not because we're sinful, but because Christ is holy and we're mm-hmm. covered in him. 
And so uh, how, how does that happen? How do we get that? Does that happen for everyone? No, mm-hmm. that only happens for those who recognize their sin, who recognize that rebellion, who understand and believe that, that God is just in punishing them eternally for their sin. And they turn to God at a humble, broken desperation and say, God, forgive me, a sinner. You're my only hope. That's called repentance. Repentance is recognizing sin and rejecting it, turning away from it. No more wanting it. Like the person I heard this morning after the sermon who was evangelizing yesterday and they were telling me about a conversation they had about a guy who said he was a Christian and he was going on and on. And then this person finally asked him, well, there's one sin I have never confessed of. There's one sin I just can't let go of. Do you think I'll go to heaven? And the person had the right response. They looked at him and said, I think the answer is really clear. Paul said, you go and examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Mm -hmm. If you're clinging to anything other than Christ, Mm -hmm. we're not perfect. But if you're holding on to that one thing, you're still Lord. You're still driving. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You have not repented. Mm -hmm. Repentance is, it's full right? Mm-hmm. Yes, there are sins you can't remember that you've committed. It's not every sin you ever committed. It's a heart attitude that wants every sin you ever committed done with. Mm-hmm. That's the reality of repentance. Mm-hmm. And so you go broken and contrite to the Lord, and you, you just literally beg. You beg him to forgive you because he's your only hope. That's the, that's the true confession of true repentance. And the blessed promise of the gospel is all who do that, and I love it, all, whosoever, comes unto me, Christ says, I will in no wise cast out. Mm -hmm. All will be forgiven of all sin, past, present, future. That's the doorway of the gospel. That's the blessing of the gospel. That's the only hope in our world for us is the gospel. That is good. (laughs) That's real good. Thank you all for listening to the Truth Talks podcast. Uh, As you notice, this is a longer one than the rest of them, but uh, we will uh, definitely be back with more. And uh, please subscribe to the podcast. You got some more? Yeah, well, just let me say, because I I never want, and and I apologize publicly, I never want to leave Jesus on the cross. Mm -hmm. And I just did. So let let me fix it. He's not on the cross. He died. They put him in the grave. But three days later, he rose. And that's the hope of the gospel. Hmm. It proves that his payment was accepted, and it proved everything he said, which he promised, if we believe in him, he will raise us from the dead as well. And he proved he can do it because he's done it. So he's risen, and so will every single believer that ever trusts in him. They too, though, as he says in John, what is John, uh, John 10, I think, though he die, yet he will live. Mm-hmm. And so it is with all who believe in him. Sorry. Well, no, that we actually call that a tease. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there that's, you go. that's the tease for the, uh, I don't know. For, for the next coming up podcast. Thank you all. Please subscribe to the podcast as well. We'll see you next time. Take care. Delighting in the word that we might walk in the truth. A ministry of Bellcroft Bible Church.